Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and this week my guest is none other than DJ Chetto, the host and founder of The Come Up Show. He's a man who's played a big part in my growth as a journalist. He took me under his wing when I was just a first-year student who loved hip-hop. And he's the reason I've been lucky to interview so many of the artists whose music I love. Adula Smokannon is his name. He's a podcast host, a former radio host, a popular panelist, and now an author. He's interviewed everyone from Kendrick Lamar and J. Cole to Fife Dog and Wyclef Jean. He's also the music programmer for Manifesto, one of the biggest hip-hop festivals in all of Canada. But before all of that... He was a kid growing up halfway across the world with a love for music. Here's his story. You told me a story one time. I, I think this might have been, if not your first interview, one of your early interviews and the first time you met Classified. Uh, you, were, you were asking him, what are you going to do if this music thing doesn't pan out? Uh, can you tell me, <laughs> tell me that story? <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. Why did you bring that up, bro? <laughs> uh, well, that just shows you the knowledge of, like, when I started the Come Up show, most of the things that I learned was through doing, by getting experience, trial and error. Especially when I started the Come Up show, I knew, I listened to Canadian hip-hop, not like, you know, I would when I was, like, 20 years old or something like that. Like, I knew the Cardinals, the Chocolaires, the Socrates. You know, I knew the Canadian legends, and that was just because... They were, you know, the, like really well promoted. They were on all the radio stations and music channels. But as I started to delve deeper into the Canadian hip hop scene, I asked that the classified out of, out of ignorance, to be honest with you, because I didn't know that there was a lot of, uh, not a lot, I didn't know there was Canadian hip hop artists who were living off Canadian hip hop mm-hmm. only in Canada. And Classified is actually one of the few still to this day, uh, if I could say that, uh, to do that successfully because he is he does have fans everywhere. But like Classified, I think his bread and butter mainly comes from Canada in terms of touring and all of that. So that's still even challenging to this day to like stay and get most of your money in Canada. So that was from not knowing, hey, like Canadian artists can do this. And it was that type of thing. And uh, to speak of Classified, like, like his how awesome of a guy is he didn't take offense to that question when i asked him that he was like he's like i'm doing all right i just got a house that's what he said to me i just bought a house so i'm doing well so uh yeah so that story was like me of not you know of not knowing there was this whole underground scene canadian hip-hop scene an underground scene that underground artists could eat and do well that was like you know uh i recently published an ebook called stop playing by the rules that was one of the things that i mentioned in there when I went to say like an atmosphere concert or whatever, mm-hmm. I thought I was naive. I was like, you know, I was fresh to the thing, and I and I thought, I thought success meant that you had to sell as many records as Eminem. Like a million in a week was like the metric for you to be considered successful, and that was obviously not true. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to a bit of your backstory before the music involvement started, right back to your beginnings, and so you're originally from. Eritrea, then moved to Saudi Arabia before coming to London, Ontario. Can you take me through what you remember of those years? Yeah. Um, so yeah, my fam- my my family is from Eritrea, and to the people who the audience and me listening doesn't know because I'm used to giving the geography lesson. Eritrea is in the Horn of Africa, right above Ethiopia and by the Red Sea. And Eritrea was in a 30-year civil war with Ethiopia. 
and uh, my parents immigrated to Saudi Arabia, which is like like a 50-minute flight from Eritrea, just right across the Red Sea. So my parents immigrated to Saudi Arabia for a better life. And um, I grew up there until I was 10 years old in 1996. And then my family moved to London, Ontario, because my dad's brother lived in London, Ontario. He said, you should bring them here. So I do remember my time of like, I was actually talking about this to my cousins earlier today because they immigrated from Saudi Arabia uh, mm-hmm. recently to London as well. I loved my life in Saudi Arabia because I was a child. I was I was under 10 years old. And you know, a lot of people in Saudi Arabia, it's a pretty wealthy country. Like I remember like us having a variety store down the street from us where I, I believe my dad owned it or was a co-owner. Uh, and so I would get all the free stuff that I wanted from the variety mm-hmm. store. Uh, I was heavily into electronics. I was always like a like a digital kid. My uncle worked at a Sony store, and you know, Sony in the '90s was like, "Yo, Sony TV, Sony VHS." Like, I love digital stuff. So I got for my birthday when I was like eight years old. I got a 35 inch Sony Triton TV, and we had all these nice things. My dad had a bunch of cars. We had a maid come in a couple times a week to clean our home. So life was really good. So when my dad came in one day and said, we're going to have to sell everything and move to Canada, I was like, why? I didn't get it. I was like, I, I like my life here. I don't want to move. So I did not want to move. Like that travel, you know, going from Saudi Arabia to Jordan, to Jordan to wherever we went to, to arrive to London, I wasn't happy. I was like, I want to stay in Saudi Arabia. So it took me some time to warm up to being here in Canada. <laughs> So uh, yeah. as as you were growing up, uh, before moving to London, Ontario, what do you remember musically at the time? What were the things that you were listening to, the things that you were being introduced to? I remember two things very, very uh, vividly. Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. And that's hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> the greats. I remember dancing to Michael Jackson's Beat It video. Uh-huh. I remember Michael Jackson, Black or White. I remember like the Michael Jackson very clearly dancing to it, barely even also understanding English. But like, you know, loving Michael Jackson and loving Michael Jordan. Uh, those are the two things that I like clearly remember. And then when we came to London and like, I felt like, I feel like in Saudi Arabia, I might've heard of Biggie, but I, I can't like, I can't hundred percent confirm. I might've heard like Biggie hypnotize me or something like that. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but like Michael Jackson and Michael Jordan. And then in London, uh, the first three things I remember clearly uh, LL Cool J, the song "Doing It," the music video, Coolio four three two one, uh-huh. and Shaggy Mr. Boombastic. Those are the f- three things that I just remember, and I, I don't know why those specific things. I know why I remember LL Cool J doing it because I was singing the chorus to "Doing It, Doing It," and my cousins, my older cousins, were laughing at me because I don't because I didn't know what I was saying I was I was thinking about doing it like that song is a, yeah, is a right. sexual song uh, <laughs> and you're a 10 year old so, 10 year old kid at the time exactly so they were like <laughs> laughing at me saying like this kid doesn't know what he's singing about and I think I, I kind of felt embarrassed maybe that's probably why I remember those that song and then the other two songs are probably connected to that song but uh, 1996 is a really formative time to be introduced to hip-hop i mean that's you're talking bad boy era that's when jay-z debuts you've already mentioned ll cool j that's when tupac is around a lot of these artists that that is you know what what a lot of people recognize as being that defining era so you come into canada into this new new country this new continent and surrounded by all this music at the same time what happens then when does the the love for hip-hop uh grow into 
a passion? You know, it's funny. Um, I interviewed uh, Manny Fresh from Cash Money. And uh, so Manny Fresh is like one of the first producers, the main producer behind Cash Money. All the early Hot Boys, Lil Wayne, Juvenile, be like everything, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember that being like, it's not a good example, but I'm telling the story specifically because there's... Uh, but being obsessed with Cash Money, when Juvenile said Cash Money Records taking over for the 99 to 2000, like Lil Wayne, the Block is Hot album, which was Lil Wayne's debut album at the age of 17, mm-hmm. I was obsessed with Cash Money, and obviously they're talking about the bling and the flashy lifestyle, and then my cousin uh, comes over from London, England, to London, Ontario, and he had Talib Kweli and High Tech Reflection Eternal Train of Thought album. Mm-hmm. Right, so that album, this is, I believe this has got to be 99 or 2000. Um, that album, like, kind of changed the game. Train of thought changed the game because I'm being introduced to Talib Kweli, high tech, most deaf, the production, the, like, it's pretty different from what Cash Money is mm-hmm. talking about. And I think that sent me in a whole different direction of basically becoming like a backpacker hip hop fan. Hmm. Uh, of like discovering like real real hip-hop like really like going into that so yeah i would say that album's pretty important and i think i haven't even talked to my cousin to tell him how important that was because i was like you know like cash money or nelly country grammar like hearing stuff like that that was cool but then like you know the talib quality album kind of you know sent 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 me in a different direction in a serious direction i would say of literally like loving hip-hop and like you know, being act, starting to be active in it. Later on, you get to a point uh, in high school and where some people might have a passion and they say, I want to be an MC or I want to be the next producer. You come at it from a different approach as far as the love of, of the genre. Yeah, I was the guy in high school. I always had an earbud in, my, in one ear. I would love to share what I'm listening to with another friend during like, you know, uh, lunch in the cafeteria. I started to like uh, burn CDs and like make like, you know, like a playlist and like a burn CD for friends. I even remember like this is like probably in grade nine, grade 10, like in the beginning of class. I don't know what it was, civics class or something like that. Before the teacher came in, I would take a chalk and write on a chalkboard. This is the song of the day. Hmm. And like my classmates, like literally writing down on their notebooks the songs I'm recommending. And these would be like brand new songs that I felt like would be hot. And like they would write, the, they would write these songs down in their notebook. <laughs> and that was really cool. So I was always that guy in, in the school bus, had music on, sharing the earbud. And um, I think where I started to like, I got the real taste of that. It was um, I got access to our sound system in our cafeteria. In our cafeteria is just where the auditorium happens you know, school dances or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the AV teacher gave me access. Mr. Ferguson, I think his name is. Shout out to Mr. Ferguson. He gave me access to the sound system during lunchtime to, to be able to play minute, uh, music for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So when I'm playing music for 45 minutes during lunch and the bass is booming and where I was playing the music from was on an elevated level, so I'm looking down at a cafeteria and, you know, when I'm playing songs, like say, like, Clips, the gr- grinding or something yeah. like that, and my friends are eating their poutine or their chicken burgers and playing cards and, like, bumping their heads, yeah. and, you know, nodding their heads, tapping their feet, really enjoying it, looking up on me, giving me props and smiling. That was, like, whoa. That was, like, that feeling of, like, 
you know, now it went, like it went from sharing music with one person at a time or a small class to like playing music for like, I don't know, 100 people or something like that. And I was like, whoa, how do I do this? How can I do this? How can I figure how I can do this for the rest of my life? That was in grade 10. And literally after that lunch was done, my, the next class was careers class where mm-hmm. you found out what you wanted to do. Uh, went to careercruising.com and searched to find like, you know, uh, you know, what, how I could do this. And I found radio broadcasting. So I knew at age 16, at grade 10, what I wanted to do, which was radio. Do you think uh, the timing of that just seems so perfect to me to, to have that moment and then literally have careers class the next moment after that, it all, it all lines up so perfectly. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, man. <laughs> it, it is. Pretty, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> April, April 19th, 2007. What do you remember about that day? Uh, it was 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. That was a slot. And um, the funny thing is, like, um, I, was, I was training at CHRW. And before that, like, I think I had a, like, a one fill-in slot, like, around, like, it was probably, like, December 23rd, 2006. It was around that time. And the reason why I remember that time is because it was, like, Christmas Eve Eve. I was at, like, um, you know, a community gathering with, like, other Eritreans and I said I was going to be on the radio and they were all going to have like a, a, a party after the dinner and I was they were going to tune into me mm-hmm. so I had a house in Fleming like all my Eritrean friends tuned into me so that was the first time I was on the radio and what was kind of funny about that is because I had um you know I had uh, my game plan was to have all the music program on my laptop and I I was going to plug in my laptop to the sound system. Remember, uh, I think it was a Y cable that you plugged in. <laughs> and there was no Y cable for me to plug in to the board. And the guy who was filling in was, you know, uh, an older man who had no idea about the technical aspects of how to do that. He's like, I can't help you. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> Eve, like nobody's going to help me this time. And it was like a 12 to 2 a.m. or something like that. 10 to 2, 10 to 12, 12 to 2. Mm-hmm. So I I was lucky that I had like uh, uh, my CD case with me and I was playing music off my CD cases. So I was limited to that. But I was so nervous that I didn't talk for the first 30 minutes. Like I just played music. Hmm. I was really nervous. And probably I didn't help myself knowing that at least 100 people would tune in to me. That that was my community that I knew. <laughs> they were all like partying and tuning in to me. And so when I first turned on the microphone and these guys, they're telling me this because they're like having a party. And like when I start turning on the microphone, I started speaking. Everybody told me that that was at the party. Everybody went quiet. They were like listening to every word I was wow. saying. And then they were like laughing hard right after because they're saying, I can't believe it. Yo, Chetto, do this. Like, you know, this is like our friend that's doing it. Right. Like they're just like right. laughing at me, like having fun. So I was that nervous. Being on a radio, I must, I, I like, I don't remember what I said, but I, I was probably horrible, which is why <laughs> the Wednesday, 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. was a perfect time slot because it gave me that time to, to kind of like build myself. And on that first time slot as well, too, I had a good friend and I got to give him props. His name's Gabriel Choi, who was like, he did, he did the first few shows with me. And he was just a supporter of the Come Up Show. He was a friend of mine. He also did a little bit of, made a little bit of music himself. So we did it together. Uh, and it was a blast. I played the music off Winamp. Winamp was my, my player when I first started playing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a great time, man. 
so so the fast forward April nineteenth, you you that's the debut of the come up show. Uh, you start overnights. How does it progress from from being this this graveyard shift to to getting a, a more premium time slot and and uh, you start to see a real following behind it? Yeah, so even though when I was 16 and grade 10, I made that decision that I would be in radio, right? I didn't really, you know, like uh, basically volunteering at CHRW was my way of knowing, like, okay, do I really want to do this radio thing or not, right? Like, that was my Mm -hmm. trial from April 19, 2007 until I basically had until the, the fall uh, it was like uh, for me to for me to find out. Okay, like, do I really want to go uh, enroll in radio broadcasting at Fanshawe College? And let me figure it out. So when I, you know, when I, uh, I quickly knew when I started volunteering, when I started my show, that yes, I wanted to do it. So um, I built it, man. I I knew I was gonna go to uh, the fall of two thousand and seven to Fanshawe College for radio broadcasting, and my goal was to continue doing the come up show. And since my show was on every Wednesday in London, Ontario, on Wednesday nights, Jim Bob Ray's was a happening thing to be at. Mm-hmm. That was like, you know, the thing. So I printed out some cards from free from vistaprint.com where it was like a basic template and you can get free like 100 free business cards. All you had to do was pay for the shipping and literally borrowed my dad's Buick Century, pulled up in front of Jim Bob Ray's at 1.30 in the morning and went into the bar and let people know like, hey, like I'm going to be on the radio until 6 in the morning playing be- the best music that you've ever heard uh, and like networked and pushed out cards. So since it was, this, you know, the summer of 2007, you know, not a lot of people are maybe people are going to stay up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the summertime. It's beautiful. Uh, and I became... The, the 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 music for the people who would go home and have a after party the people who would work at Stobie's pizza uh people who would work graveyard shifts in factories stocking shelves at Walmart the taxi cab drivers i built it up like it became buzzing i would i would get calls at 2 yeah. 3 4 5 in the morning uh, and I and I and I made it happen. So when I got, I built it up, and I knew I was going to go to Fanshawe. So when it co- when it came to the end of August and starting school in September, I obviously need, knew that I needed to get a better time slot, uh, which was Mondays, one thirty to three thirty p.m. And um, my teachers were really graceful and really nice, uh, knowing that I had a radio show that they were able to accommodate me as well too, because uh, it kind of conflicted with my class schedule as well. I have a story to tell you. There was a time, so when I was in my first year of university, I'd been sitting in with you and JR as you hosted the Come Up Show Saturday nights. And there was a weekend, I remember I was going home for the weekend, and I remember telling my friend that I really wanted to get involved in this thing and and see if I could be an intern or something. Uh, I think at the time, I'd probably sat in on maybe two or three Saturday nights. And I I kid you not, I, I have this conversation, and the next day is when the intern postings go out on the come up show. I, I, I kind of tend to believe that there are these things in life that are meant to happen, whether it's signs from the universe and you just need to be open to listening to them. Uh, and that was one of those moments for me. What moments have you had like that where the timing is just so perfect, things seem to fall in place for you? Oh man, there's like so many that I don't even know, you know, um, what to tell you. But I think uh, I think it's the people that I've attracted to the come up show who are, um, you know, want to contribute and want to be involved. Those are the people like, because, yo, like, I have, I'm not a one-man band. I'm not, I'm not, I don't do this all myself. And I think over the years, 
how people have been attracted to come to the Come Up Show, people like you, Martin, who want to get involved at the right time, right place. I think that's that was the key thing. And I think um, I think what took the Come Up Show to the next level is like, you know, when I, I was doing it, all, you know, that time, so 2 a.m., 6 a.m., even one day, Mondays, 1.30, 3.30 p.m., that, that's not what took the Come Up Show to the next level. What took the Come Up Show to the next level is when, um, you know, one of my first people who who contributed um he was a skateboarder and he was a listener of the radio show and he was he was shooting video of him himself his friends skating in the park and he asked to see if he could bring his camera along to my interviews that he heard on the radio Mm-hmm. So that was like a game changer because now it went from a radio show. I did, it, I did start a blog spot because I was getting so much music submissions that I started. I'm like, oh, I need another platform. I need another place where I can put this music up because I'm only on the radio a couple hours a week. But then when we start going to like, you know, Grand Ben and, you know, my one of my first like interviews on video was Raekwon the Chef. And getting that on video and uploading that to Facebook and YouTube was a game changer and then from there like you know it was one video guy to like a team of videographers editors music writers photographers uh, marketing like social media team you know like you know even to, to this day I have a podcast editor and engineer like you know it's just like uh, the, uh, those moments are where I you know because I can get overwhelmed I can't do it all mm-hmm. by myself and then and then you know, the right people come into my life who are in that perfect position to help me out where I'm overwhelmed to take the comedy show to the next level. That ha- that's, that happens, that's happening, continues to happen. And uh, if it wasn't for the contributors, the volunteers, the interns, the team that I've been able to attract, not just, just, just doing what I'm doing and what we're, what the comedy show stands for, that's what makes me feel like, wow, this is not only about me. This is a mission that we are, we're on here. We're, we're here to make a difference and that people are just as passionate and want to contribute in any way possible. And also they're being enriched, right? Like they're being enriched. Like one of your first interviews was David Banner or something like that, right? <laughs> like you've interviewed yeah. just Blaze. I haven't even interviewed him myself. Like you've done things like that that like you could take with you and put that on your portfolio and your resume and in your life experience that you could say, I did that, you know, those, that's what's invaluable <laughs> to me that it's not, I'm not only being enriched by my passion but you know people like you Martin there's a, a book that you and I have both read uh, The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz and the agreements are one be impeccable with your word two don't take anything personally three don't make assumptions and four always do your best how did that book influence you and, and change your life how did you know that bro <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah 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 Oh uh, yeah, that was so. I gotta give a shout out to a guy named Terrence, and Terrence is connected to a guy named Gabe Gabriel Choi, who I mentioned. He was one of the first guys to do the radio show with me, and this Terrence guy like has an amazing story. Like you know, he was homeless, like he was an orphan, and like he kind of built up himself. And like, he didn't go to school, he didn't go to university or anything. This guy, and this is like you know over ten years ago. He would download university lectures. He would torrent university lectures and teach himself university subjects just by watching videos and like taking notes and like self-taught like that these are the type of things that he would be doing he'd be downloading gigs of gigs of gigs of information and teach himself and he was also a music producer he was just a genius kind of reminds me of ryan leslie actually and 
the first ever come up show intro or promo that I did with Gabe and he produced it. I remember going over to his house and then he gave me on a USB stick like Brian Tracy, Psychology Success, uh, uh, Anthony Robbins, Personal Development, and Don Miguel Ruiz, um, The Four Agreements. This is all on audio. Mm-hmm. So I would like load it up on my MP3 player and listen to this on the bus on the way to school. And Don Miguel Ruiz definitely changed the game for me in, in those four agreements of, you know, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Never make assumptions. Do your best. Uh, that is what keeps me as a positive person. That is what keeps me as well to not be affected by any haters, rappers who are mad at me that I didn't play their music or featured them on my blog. Uh, I've actually had rappers make diss songs about me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> things like that where I can actually like, you know, even if they're showing me hate, I can still show them love because I know people do things not because of me. They do things because of themselves, which is linked to don't take anything personally. Uh, like, yeah, that Don Miguel Ruiz audiobook, like each, I think each, you know, principle he spent 20 minutes on it. It just changed the game, man. It may sound like kind of like extreme if people hear like, what does he say? Like the first thing, uh, keep being impeccable with your word. He says, if I say to you, Hmm, you look like the type of face where you have cancer. And if you believe that in one year you'll have cancer, that's, you know, that's, he's showing the power of our words. Or the second thing, don't take anything personally. He's, <laughs> this may sound a little like extreme, but he said, if I were to shoot you in the head and you're dead, don't take it personally. It's not because of you. Like, <laughs> that was like, you know, things that go out there, but like, yo, people please need to listen to that uh, because it made me basically not. I didn't give power to other people. People didn't have power over my feelings and my thoughts. And also the not making assumptions. That's why I'm, I'm explicit in my instructions or questions to make sure that I don't assume. It doesn't mean that, and do your best, as he says, is like you're not, do your best means you're doing your best is going to be different when you're tired or when you're energetic. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I follow all these things 100% because I'm a human being. Uh, it's an ongoing process, but like it really like, you know, and it was kind of crazy that I heard all this stuff right when I was starting the come up show. It just gave me some ammo and it changed my process. That's that's another crazy thing. The summer of starting the come up show, like um, I went to the library. I started reading so many books. I start like feeding my mind with so much positive and so much information that really helped me. I changed as a human being, as a person, from going to the club all the time, spending hundreds of dollars on alcohol to saving my $100 and putting it into the Come Up Show t-shirts to sell for promotional purposes. Like, I just, mm. you know, switched up and I, I was I was focused. I was zoned in and, and I never looked back. One thing that's uh, that I think is interesting about you, I mean, you've, you've written a book, as you've mentioned, and I think you kind of have a love-hate relationship with social media, whereas, you know, a lot of what you've done with the Come Up Show has been focusing on how best to use it and and how to get the word out there, get that music out there. But then in your personal life, I think there have been times you've cut out social media entirely. So so it's a kind of a, a push and pull for you. What what are your thoughts on that and, and uh, how have you kind of managed to uh, find a balance in your life? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good question. Yeah, like... um. Yeah, it kind of seems like, uh, especially nowadays, being as the founder of the Come Up Show, being a media personality, music journalist, 
uh, being a guy who's you know in a in you know music is social to not focus a lot on my personal social presence of you know I just like re- reopened my Twitter account like I deleted it and I was off Twitter personally for a while same thing with Instagram you're gonna barely find me I have a private account I just created it just to save my name but I am not posting on it and I think it's just like a balance of like focus being focused because you can be on social media and do a million things but that doesn't necessarily mean you're being productive and focus on things like you know the 80 20 rule that 80 percent of your results come from 20 percent of your efforts of focusing on what is the game plan what are the big things that i really need truly to focus on that can take the come up show forward and i think that some of the things is because i um uh because my work is public right i'm interviewing artists I'm at concerts. I'm interviewing somebody every single week. You know, I was doing radio for seven years, so I was on the radio. So a lot of my work was public, so I wanted to have an area of my life that was private uh, to myself, right? Like my intimate relationships. And so I kind of like kept that to myself for my sanity, for my health. And yeah, and, and social media can be, you know, dangerous for your health, for your mental health. There's actual research on that now. You're always comparing yourself to other people. Mm-hmm. But a big part of that was like, you know, since a lot of my work was public, I wanted something to myself. And um, focusing, you know, rather than focusing on my personal social presence, I can focus on the come up show social presence. That doesn't mean I ne- I, I'm totally not using social media, but I can focus my efforts on the come up shows Instagram or the come up shows Twitter. It's, it's the thing that I struggle with and challenge with and like on and off. And I f- if I find myself being distracted by social media, especially personal, like I, mm-hmm. I just remove myself for it because, yo, social media can definitely be distracting. Let's let's not say that we don't, you know, spend hours on it. You know, people spend hours on that every day, not accomplishing anything. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't good for my productivity as well. There's, you know, multiple reasons why I had to like cut back personally. There's a quote of yours that I want to read to you, and uh, and it's funny because I've come to believe the same thing. And and this is a, a tweet that I just I just saw of yours yesterday, but it's it's too perfect. I have to to ask you more more about it in depth. Uh, so you you said the one thing I've learned from interviewing hundreds of artists is that everyone has their own path. You can look to others for best practices, but at the end of the day, you have to figure it out your own way. Uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, like those are those are the common things that I'm, you know, I'm learning from the hundreds of artists that I've interviewed because what I'm trying to do when I'm talking to artists in my podcast, I'm also trying to f- like to find patterns so I can pass that on to other artists because I care about other artists because they're the ones that keep me going through the power of music. And yeah, so everybody has their own journey. Mm-hmm. We hear things like, "Oh, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success." But we also there's also examples of an artist that I just re, uh, interviewed a couple months ago, <clears throat> Khalid, who has a song called Location, which if people look that up, you definitely have heard it before. And he made that song Location a few months before he graduated high school. When he put it out, he just put it out on SoundCloud. He had no game plan. And, and, and you know, people like Kylie Jenner are putting it up on their Snapchat and it's gaining momentum. And by the time he graduates high school, he has a deal, a record label deal, a major label, like record label deal. And months later, he's on a world tour. Mm -hmm. So this guy's been making music less than a year. 
and he's basically on he's 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 made it and then i'm talking to other canadian artists or other artists who've been doing it for 10 years and they're still struggling so i was like how does that make sense and i'm basically figured out like everybody has their own path their own journey you got to go through it and you got to figure it out for yourself like somebody can give you everything tell you everything that they know but there's still got to be like you still got to figure it out for yourself. You just got to try. You got to put put in work. There's, there may be best principles. There may be best things to do. But nobody has an answer for you, man. You got to figure out that answer. You can't Google it. I'm sorry. You got to like go through the things that you need to go through to make it. And that's the reason why, you know, I've been to hundreds of panels and discussions and stuff. And I'm like, why do panels still exist? Why is there these keynotes still happening? Because... I've been to so many of them, and I was like, hmm, I think, what, I think why it's happening is because everybody has their own story, their own journey that you can learn from, and things are changing so fast that at the end of the day, you have to look within, and you got to go through it yourself. There is no shortcuts. You, I'm sorry you can't avoid the pain. I'm sorry you can't avoid the lows. You got to go through it, and you got to figure it out for yourself. So when you come out on the other side, you can tell us what you did, and hopefully we can be inspired off your story. I mean, and that's not just artists, too. I mean, I think of what you're doing, what you're trying to do really doesn't have a roadmap either. I mean, you're you're in that same position yourself. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right, 100%. I am. I definitely am. I am in that same position. And that's another thing. You know, when I'm talking to artists, I'm, I'm feeling inspired off their journey. I'm also looking to see what I can learn from them, what I can get from them. I'm definitely on my own journey. And I'm I'm still also, you know, there's still things that I need to figure out on my own I'm on my, my own journey as well too yeah I have those downs I have those lows you know um, frustrations I go through all those things and what I'm trying to do is kind of difficult because I'm I'm you know my goal is to build a media company that really makes a huge difference and with up-and-coming artists and especially out of Canada that doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> what I'm doing has does not exist really there's not too many models so I'm going through it on my own as well too I'm talk try to talk to other people who are smart, so on and so forth. But funny enough, I just met with Steve Lobel. I saw him at CMW last week. And Steve Lobel is like, you know, is is Bone Thug Thug and Harmony's uh, manager. Like the guy has been in the industry for over 20-something years. Mm -hmm. He's an OG. So when I told him about the come-up show and all that type of stuff, and he's like, like, you got to figure it out. He's like, you got to do it. You just got to do it. You just have to figure it out. You know, he was saying, um, I believe the the guy who started Fader, I believe it was Rob Stone or something like that. He's like, yo, he figured it out. Nobody believed in him. Nobody thought any it would go anywhere. You know, same thing with Mark Echo with Complex. They yeah, figured it out. And that's all he said. He said, you got to figure it out. You just got to do it. And I kind of find that more inspiring, more engaging than like, you know, him giving me an answer because it's up to me to mm-hmm. make it happen. And it's got to be out of my sheer will and, 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 and just doing it and keep going forward. And that's, 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 that's a cool thing. I'm on my own journey as well, too. And when I, when, when I get to where I need to, you know, I could share that with people. But, yeah, we all have to figure it out. We're all in that, on, that, on our own journeys. There's something, I think, liberating, too, about that when you realize that, that people that are quick to give advice to others are, are just as clueless as the rest of us everybody's figuring it out for themselves i think there's uh that's an empowering feeling when you realize that and that ultimately yeah it's it is up to you to determine 
what you want to make of your future. Yeah, I'm actually, and I'm, I'm, you know, I've been a few panels. Like, I'm, I'm. That's what I'm going to say because everybody has a different story, different journey, different circumstances. But yeah, like it was empowering. It is empowering, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that to people as well too. It's like, hey, you, it's, it's up to you, man. You have to figure it out. One of the things you've said is that regrets can be poisonous. This idea of stewing it uh, and focusing over regrets, things that could have been, and and how unhelpful that can be. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, like um, we regret the things that we don't take action on. We don't regret the things that we do take action on. We don't regret our mistakes. We regret the things that we don't take action on. And yeah, like um, you know, I'm 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 still young, um, and um, I don't want to, you know, be old and bitter. And then, you know, a, a lot, a person that talks about a lot about this is people might know him, Gary Vaynerchuk, entrepreneur. Like he, he tells people, he gives people advice, like to, he tells people to go to a retirement home or a nursing home and talk to, spend some time with some elderly people and, and you'll find out very quickly their regrets are the things that they did not do, they didn't take action on. And I definitely, I don't want that to happen to me. Regrets can be poison, man. You have to, you have to take action and 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 don't let the fear succumb you. And I think that's I think that's the thing that I tell like to to to, you know, uh, people that I love. Like if you don't if you don't know what you wanted to do, is keep searching. Just continue searching. Just don't, just continue searching. Don't stop. You know, you don't know when you're gonna find that answer, but just continue on that path and take action. You've done so many things uh, in your years at the Come Up Show. Ten years now, you've interviewed Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole. You've interviewed the Boy Wonders, the Classifieds, the T-Minus, Manny Fresh. Uh, anyway, all these moments. What are the ones that stick out to you, the highlights? I, I think, funny enough, the conversations that I'm having, like uh, like what I've already talked about the, the con- uh, contributors that I have on the team. That's been amazing, uh, seeing them you know, elevate and do big, big, big things. But the interviews that I'm having right now on the Come Up Show podcast are the most inspiring to me. I think I've I think I've I've kind of been doing this like I've I've been this kind of person. My interview style is basically like it's an extension of what I'm interested in, right? Like of knowing about other people. Mm-hmm. It's not just like random questions that I'm generating. It's actually questions that I want to know about that person. So when you see my interview with Kendrick Lamar, those are things that I would ask to Kendrick Lamar if I was in front of him, regardless if there's a camera in front of us or not. Uh, mm-hmm. But these moments of like, I'm um, interviewing, you know, like, uh, you know, Greg Fillingaines, who's Michael Jackson's keyboardist and Michael Jackson's musical director. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm interviewing these people of importance, but the, the, the thing that is like really like sticking to me is um, I'm able to get them to be vulnerable, right? So like Michael Jackson's mm-hmm. keyboardist, uh, Greg Fillingaines, he was also Stevie Wonders, Eric Clapton, George Harrison, and George Benson. He's telling me all these crazy stories. He's telling me that, you know, he played in the 70s in Kingston, Jamaica with Stevie Wonder and Bob Marley opened up for them, right? He's telling me all these stories. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to the point where he says, I'll be honest with you, I'm going through a dry spell right now. I'm going through a rough time. I just had baby twins. I got a, I got a wife. I got a house. And I'm, nobody's calling me for tours right now. And I was like, hold on, man. You're Michael Jackson. You were Michael Jackson's guy and Stevie and like all these people. And and you have this, you know, all these stories and the credibility, qualifications. And you're telling me you're still going through, you can still go through those lows when you're 60 years old. You're telling me that? And he's like, yeah. 
You just have to be humble. Mm-hmm. Um, stories like that, or you know, like or I, you know, I I could share similar stories from Black Lives John as well too. Stuff that that type of those type of gems, vulnerability, is inspiring me so much because I'm a human being as well too. I go through the lows as well. I go through those questions of mm-hmm. frustrations where I have to be humble, and it's not only inspiring me because I'm I'm here listening to those stories right in front of them, but I'm now able to share that in a platform on a podcast where anybody can listen to it. Uh, I'm feeling like I'm really renewed right now because I'm like I'm I found a lane of getting the creatives to share their real stories of why to do it their ups, their downs, when they slept in a car for a month, when they were going through mental health issues or depression. Basically, what they go through on this journey and sharing that is that's that's really what I'm really, really, really like pumped up by right now because I'm not talking about gossip. I'm not talking about, tell me the producers you have coming up on this album. I'm not talking about that stuff anymore. I'm talking about life stuff, basically. You know what I mean? And I don't know if I'm going to say this. I'm the Oprah of hip-hop or whatever. Like that type of like, you know, <laughs> Oprah mixed with Tony Robbins type of interview style on hip-hop. That's, I'm, I'm on that lane right now. And I don't know if there's a lot of people doing it. But the goal is to inspire others, whoever it may be. You don't have to be an artist or a creative. You can, you can be the 21-year-old university student that is in third year and you don't know you wanna, what you want to do. Like anybody can hear that, so I'm really like emboldened by that right now. You know, it's funny I could tell you tons of memories over the past ten years, but right now, what I'm what I'm doing right now is what's really inspiring me, and I'm really loving. I'm really excited mm-hmm. about, and I'm sharing that with people when I see them face to face, and people are like, "Whoa!" and they're like, you know, excited to tune in and to to engage and listen. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, all right, you you usually close things off in your interviews, or you you have in the past asked artists what music means to them, and so I think that would be a fitting way to close things off with you, Chetta. What does music mean to you? Uh, music means to me. Music is my inspiration. Music is my fuel. Music is what keeps me going. You know, when I've been up at three, four in the morning editing radio songs because. Rappers don't edit their songs uh, <laughs> or grinding, hustling out there, promoting myself. When when I'm like low and I put on those headphones and it's fuel. It's just like I know why I'm doing what I do. It's joy. Uh, it's pure joy, bliss, and it's, be- it's energy that I want to share with people. Um, that's that's what I'm doing. I'm just I'm I'm the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is I'm sh- the the way I'm feeling geeked, hyped, inspired. The love that I'm feeling for the music, I just want to share that with other people. That's how it started, right? That's all how it started. Whether it be sharing an earbud with my friend, or sharing that song or conversation with thousands of people I just want to share I'm basically you know music is love I'm sharing love that's that's exactly what I'm doing I'm just sharing the joy I'm sharing the love that I feel from that that music to other people and I hope they can also feel that joy that love that inspiration thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you Martin Bauman thank you for everything bro thank you for your contributions as well to to the come up show 
and uh, I, I appreciate it. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. Chetto is one of those people, every time I talk to him, I get inspired. You can find the Come Up Show podcast online. If you go back far enough, you might even hear a few episodes hosted by yours truly. His book, Stop Playing By Their Rules, is also available on Google Books. If you like the show, it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Go ahead and subscribe. You can also help me out by leaving a rating, too, or pass it along to someone you think might enjoy it. Theme music for the show is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. I'm Martin Bauman, and this was a story untold. See you next time. Mm-hmm.